J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 134 Jesus Before Pilate and Herod Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 12 And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, You say it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at nothing and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Let us observe for one thing in this passage what false accusations were laid to our Lord Jesus Christ's charge. We are told that the Jews accused him of subverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, and stirring up the people. In all this indictment, we know there was not a word of truth. It was nothing but an ingenious attempt to enlist the feeling of a Roman governor against our Lord. False witness and slander are two favorite weapons of the devil. He was a liar from the beginning and is still the father of lies, John 8.44. When he finds that he cannot stop God's work, his next device is to blacken the character of God's servants and to destroy the value of their testimony. With this weapon he assaulted David. False witnesses, he says, did rise against me. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. With this weapon he assaulted the prophets. Elijah was a troubler of Israel. Jeremiah was a man who sought not the welfare of his people, but the hurt. Psalm 35, 11, 1 Kings 18, 17, Jeremiah 38, 4. With this weapon he assaulted the apostles. They were pestilent fellows, and men who turned the world upside down, Acts 24.5 and 17.6. With this weapon he assaulted our Lord all through his ministry. He stirred up his agents to call him a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a Samaritan and a devil, 
Luke 7.34 and John 8.48. And here, in the verses before us, we find him plying his old weapon to the very last. Jesus is arraigned before Pilate upon charges which are utterly untrue. The servant of Christ must never be surprised if he has to drink of the same cup with his Lord. When he who was holy, harmless, and undefiled was foully slandered, who can expect to escape? If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call them of his household? Matthew 10.25 Nothing is too bad to be reported against a saint. Perfect innocence is no fence against enormous lying, calumny, and misrepresentation. The most blameless character will not secure us against false tongues. We must bear the trial patiently. It is part of the cross of Christ. We must sit still, lean back on God's promises, and believe that in the long run truth will prevail. Rest in the Lord, says David, and wait patiently for him. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Psalm 37, verse 6 and 7. Let us observe for another thing in this passage the strange and mingled motives which influence the hearts of unconverted great men. We're told that when our Lord was sent by Pilate to Herod, king of Galilee, Herod was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he'd heard many things of him, and he hoped to see some miracles done by him. These words are remarkable. Herod was a sensual, worldly man, the murderer of John the Baptist, a man living in foul adultery with his brother's wife. Such a man, we might have supposed, would have had no desire to see Christ. But Herod had an uneasy conscience. The blood of God's murdered saints, no doubt, rose often before his eyes and destroyed his peace. The fame of our Lord's preaching and miracles had penetrated even into his court. It was said that another witness against sin had risen up who was even more faithful and bold than John the Baptist, and who confirmed his teaching by works which even the power of kings could not perform. These rumors made Herod restless and uncomfortable. No wonder that his curiosity was stirred, and he desired to see Christ. It may be feared that there are many great and rich men like Herod, in every age of the church, men without God, without faith, and living only for themselves. They generally live in an atmosphere of their own, flattered, fawned upon, and never told the truth about their souls, haughty, tyrannical, and knowing no will but their own. Yet even these men are sometimes conscience-stricken and afraid. God raises up some bold witness against their sins, whose testimony reaches their ears. At once their curiosity is stirred. They feel found out and are ill at ease. They flutter round his ministry like the moth around the candle and seem unable to keep away from it, even while they do not obey it. 
They praise his talents and openly profess their admiration of his power, but they never get any further. Like Herod, their conscience produces within them a morbid curiosity to see and hear God's witnesses. But like Herod, their heart is linked to the world by chains of iron. Tossed to and fro by storms of lust or ungovernable passions, they are never at rest while they live, and after all their fitful struggles of conscience, they die at length in their sins. This is a painful history, but it is the history of many rich men's souls. Let us learn from Herod's case to pity great men. With all their greatness and apparent splendor, they are often thoroughly miserable within. Silks and satins and official robes often cover hearts which are utter strangers to peace. That man knows not what he is wishing who wishes to be a rich man. Let us pray for rich men as well as pity them, for they carry weight in the race for eternal life. If they are saved, it can only be by the greatest miracles of God's grace. Our Lord's words are very solemn. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew nineteen twenty-four. Let us observe, finally, in this passage, how easily and readily unconverted men can agree in disliking Christ. We're told that when Pilate sent our Lord a prisoner to Herod, the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. We know not the cause of their enmity. It was probably some petty quarrel, such as will arise among great as well as small. But whatever the cause of enmity, it was laid aside when a common object of contempt, fear, or hatred was brought before them. Whatever else they disagreed about, Pilate and Herod could agree to despise and persecute Christ. The incident before us is a striking emblem of a state of things which may always be seen in the world. Men of the most discordant opinions can unite in opposing truth. Teachers of the most opposite doctrines can make common cause in fighting against the gospel. In the days of our Lord, the Pharisees and Sadducees might be seen combining their forces to entrap Jesus of Nazareth and put him to death. In our own times, we sometimes see infidels and idolaters, worldly pleasure lovers and bigoted ascetics the friends of so-called liberal views and the most determined opponents of all changes, all ranked together against evangelical religion. One common hatred binds them together. They hate the cross of Christ. To use the words of the apostles in the Acts, against your holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and all the people of Israel, are gathered together. Acts 4.27 All hate each other very much, but all hate Christ much more. 
The true Christian must not count the enmity of the world a strange thing. He must not marvel if, like Paul at Rome, he finds the way of life a way everywhere spoken against, and if all around him agree in disliking his religion. Acts 28.22 If he expects that by any concession he can win the favor of man, he will be greatly deceived. Let not his heart be troubled. He must wait for the praise of God. The saying of his master should often come across his mind. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John fifteen, nineteen.